What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Wednesday, August 3rd, as the trade deadline is in the rearview mirror. And the Cardinals did end up making a splash. An interesting trade right before the deadline at 5 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday afternoon. Welcome into the show. A lot to get to today. Cardinals face the Chicago Cubs on Tuesday night at Bush Stadium. Adam Wainwright pitching to Yadier Molina. All is right in the world when that is going on. And it was good to see Yadi get back behind the plate for the Cardinals and to have he and Adam Wainwright make their 317th career start together. They're seven away now from tying the all-time record for a single battery, the most starts in Major League Baseball history. Doing a little calendar math, I think if they both stay healthy, they will have no problem surpassing that number. They should have eight starts together the rest of the season. And you know what? Even if they don't, I bet the Cardinals can find a way to get them there. Wainwright throws an inning, counts it as a start. You know what I'm saying? They might be able to fudge the numbers a little bit at the end of the season, depending on how things are looking. They might need Wainwright to be in his best shape for a playoff scenario. We'll have to wait and see. I think as long as they both stay healthy, though, more than eight starts should be on the docket for the remainder of the season. So we'll get into that. We'll talk about the outing for Wainwright as the Cardinals defeated the Cubs 6-0 at Bush Stadium. Discuss a good night for the pitching staff and a good night for the offense as well as the Cardinals erupted for three home runs, 11 hits in total in the six runs that they scored against Chicago pitching. So we'll get into how that went down and who some of the stars of the show were. And one in particular, it happens on a very opportune night for Dylan Carlson as Tuesday was a plant-the-flag-into-the-ground kind of day for the Cardinals in their belief in Dylan Carlson. As the trade that goes down before the deadline sends Harrison Bader to the New York Yankees in exchange for Jordan Montgomery, what does that mean for the Cardinals? Do they do enough from a pitching perspective to add at the deadline to shore up that starting rotation? And then what does it mean from an outfield perspective as Harrison Bader no longer in the mix as the Cardinals devoted themselves pretty heavily to Dylan Carlson. What with the morning, the news coming out that they weren't willing to include Dylan Carlson in a trade. We found out a little bit more detail about when Dylan found out that his name was not going to be floated in a potential deal for Juan Soto. Really interesting insight and good to hear from Dylan Carlson tonight in the Cardinals clubhouse. We might find a chance to play a little bit of audio about that. We'll definitely play some audio from Adam Wainwright in his sort of take on the trade deadline and what it meant for the young guys in the clubhouse and the message that was sent by the Cardinals not making the trade for what he called in Juan Soto one of the best players on the planet. So we're going to get into all that and more on today's episode of B-Shape Daily. Quick reminder, though, before we get into the content of the show that you can subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Really anywhere podcasts are found, head to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Click on more platforms and locate all the possibilities for where you can download, subscribe, and listen to the B-Shafe Daily show. And if you'd like to support the B-Shafe Daily podcast, you can head on over to Twitter at bshafer12 and click on the little money symbol. It's next to the follow button on my profile page. And there you'll be linked to Venmo or Cash App if you'd like to contribute and support the B-Shafe Daily podcast. I want to make sure to give a shout out to my man Connor for contributing this morning. Really cool of him to do so. And as I'm getting this podcast off the ground, every little bit helps. And I really do appreciate that for those of you that have decided to make that happen. Again, no obligation. 
it is absolutely just as valuable just to have your ears and to have your attention as we try to build this podcast and get things off the ground. So appreciate you all for listening. Let's go ahead and hop into the content of today's show. As the Cardinals got it done against the Chicago Cubs, we're going to go into the game first, talk about some of the things that happened with that, and then that will lead very directly into our conversation about how the Cardinals handled the trade deadline. And by the way, not a lot to say about Juan Soto in this episode because we did run an emergency recording of the podcast earlier Tuesday afternoon. It was about 23 minutes in length where we talked exclusively about the Cardinals' pursuit of Juan Soto and what ultimately they were not able to get done with that. There is some context to add from John Mosellock after the fact that we got a little bit later on Tuesday evening after the 5 p.m. deadline when he spoke to reporters prior to the Cardinals game at Bush Stadium. But really the main takeaway there is that the Cardinals coming into Tuesday morning were not in on the Juan Soto sweepstakes at that point in time. John Mosellock said he knew Monday night that they just weren't going to be willing to match the offer that it would take to acquire Soto based on what the Padres were willing to do and had some good candor in talking about it and being pretty open and honest and saying, yeah, it's just they went to a point that we were not willing to go to. Cardinals could have gone to it. They absolutely could have done so. They had the pieces to match or exceed the offer that eventually was the winning offer by San Diego, but they elected not to do so. And we'll get into more of that as we go on. I do want to play some audio from Adam Wainwright in in keeping with that theme and talking about that situation. It's clear the Cardinals players were aware of it as uh, the, the week or so went on since the, the the Juan Soto sweepstakes really began to heat up over the past week. We'll talk about that. We'll make sure to play the audio from Wainwright. But if you want an exclusive podcast just talking about the Soto situation and reflecting on what that looked like, did that earlier this afternoon. Scroll back on your podcast feed. That being said, let's get into the game as the Cardinals took down the Cubs 6-0. Now that the trade deadline is over, it kind of puts yourself into the position of, all right, we got to realize that wins are on the table to be had. We're playing some tough teams this month, but we're also playing a relatively easier schedule overall. You play the Yankees this weekend. That's going to be a big series with Matt Carpenter coming back into town. You get the Brewers next weekend, the 12th through the 14th at home. That's going to be another important series. Uh, but otherwise, you know, the Braves toward the end of the month. Otherwise, though, in the month of August, the Cardinals do have an opportunity to rack up some wins, starting now with the Cubs. They play the Rockies, the Rockies again, the Diamondbacks, the Cubs again, and the Cincinnati Reds to close out the month. So there are opportunities for wins here. No time like the present, and the Cardinals found that out and held true to it as they got the win 6 nothing on Tuesday night. Vintage performance by Adam Wainwright, even though he said after the game, yeah, my stuff was terrible. I didn't have a good fastball. I My slider was a little wonky, but we made do with it. Uh, the curveball was good, he said. Or he actually said the curveball was okay, which is Adam Wainwright probably being pretty modest because he's got one of the best curveballs we've ever seen in St. Louis, and everybody knows that by now. He said the, the changeup was terrible. He calls the changeup the devastator, but didn't even he must have thought it was so bad on Tuesday that he didn't bother to even make the joke about the Devastator because it just wasn't really working for him. And so that's what's so interesting. You get Adam Wainwright, who throws this gem of a game, seven shutout innings, six hits, didn't walk anybody, which tells you a lot about his command when he says that he didn't have his best stuff on the mound and he still didn't manage to walk even one batter while striking out four and lowering his season ERA to 3.11. That says a lot about what Adam Wainwright is doing in 2022 and just how far he's come from 
that kind of 2018 period and, and the years leading up to that where he was nearing the end and then has found his renaissance in such an amazing way to where you legitimately, I know he is he's basically assumed, a lot of people assume that he's going to hang him up after this season, but you really can't do that with the way that he's performing. And now that he's approaching that 200 win mark, I know I said he's going to get eight more starts the rest of the year, but it's hard to go run the table in terms of getting the pitcher win every time you take the mound. That would that would end up as like a 16-8 and eight season for him if he won the next eight. He's 8-8 eight and eight right now. But very interesting to see if he is knocking on that door of 200. I wonder if that causes him to maybe run it back one more time, even without Yadier Molina with the Cardinals next season. We'll see, but what we do know for now is that Adam Wainwright is still an effective pitcher, and he's helping the Cardinals to wins. He did so in this game on Tuesday, even without his best stuff. It's amazing what he's been able to do, and having Yadi back there probably didn't hurt. And we saw from the very beginning of the game at the top of the first inning, Rafael Ortega, who was a, a former Cardinals farmhand, so he really had no excuse in thinking that he could run on Yadier Molina and, and get away with it. But Saya Suzuki, the number three hitter, the rookie, 27 years old for the Cubs, uh, apparently his first time, I, I heard this on the radio broadcast coming in, because with my radio show, I have to basically get to the games that start at 645 and around the bottom of the first inning, top of the second, sometimes depending on how quickly they go. And so I was listening to the broadcast on the way in and realized that this was Suzuki's first time facing the Cardinals all year because he had been on the injured list the other times the Cards and Cubs have matched up. And uh, they didn't match up a whole heck of a lot in the first half of the season, I think just twice. And now we're going to see a lot more of these two teams going up against each other the remainder of August. And then the first week of September, the first weekend of September, I should say, is also going to be a Cards-Cubs matchup. So that's going to be interesting to see as well. Plenty of Cards-Cubs the rest of the year, which is probably a benefit to St. Louis, even though the Cubs didn't completely tear things down the way we expected. They didn't trade Wilson Contreras. They didn't trade Ian Happ. Those two were hugging and having an emotional moment in their last game at Wrigley. And turns out they're going to be back at Wrigley the rest of the year because somehow the Cubs didn't figure out a way to move either of those players. They did really tear down their bullpen almost entirely which should be to the benefit of any team that plays Chicago the remainder of the year. They traded David Robertson. They traded Scott Efros. I think there's another guy that they dealt and got rid of. Uh, Michael Givens is gone. That's who it was. So their their bullpen is not is it's kind of going to be in shambles the rest of the way, which, hey, if you're the Cardinals and you get, what, eight or nine or ten, whatever it is, more games against Chicago, you're, you're going to take that. But Suzuki, the rookie for the Cubs, getting his first look at the Cardinals-Cubs rivalry. 3-2 pitch from Wainwright, strikes him out with a curveball, and then Yachty activates the strike him out, throw him out, flattering down the second base. Tommy Edmond applies the tag to Ortega. End of the inning, and the crowd goes wild. Happy to see Yachty back in the game and making an impact in his first opportunity to do so. Not a surprise at all to see, especially on the defensive side. You know, with Yachty, the season hasn't been very strong offensively, and tonight ends up having an 0-4 game. It's just one of those things where we realize he's not going to have the impact at the plate maybe that he once did. He'll still come up with some clutch hits every now and again, but I think what he does defensively is going to be so critical, especially now with the Cardinals having their rotation basically filled out by adding Jose Quintana, by adding Jordan Montgomery from the Yankees. I think it's going to be really good, and you're going to see these pitchers probably elevate their game a little more than they have been of recent times just because Yachty's back there and, and dialing things up to the most effective that they can be. And that was certainly the case in the first inning tonight and throughout the entire game for Wainwright, seven innings. Jordan Hicks comes into the eighth inning, would be very important for him to end up as a, a reliable reliever, whether that's the back end or, or middle innings, however they 
need to slice that up. Two strikeouts in an inning of work for him. And then we saw Chris Stratton, the Pittsburgh Pirate, the former Pittsburgh Pirate, I should say, now a St. Louis Cardinal, coming over in that Quintana deal along with the left-handed starter. He pitches the ninth inning, clean inning, gives up a base hit through the, the middle of the infield, but then finds a way to field his own position very nicely on a comebacker, throws to second to start the double play, which ended the game. So really good look for the pitching staff tonight, and the offense was similarly very strong. 11 hits for the Cardinals. Lars Newtbar goes three for three, was the player of the game, reached base four times. He's now up to a two thirty batting average and a seven twenty eight OPS on the season. When I say player of the game, that was on the field, the interview with Mike Claiborne. Uh, there were probably more impactful performances. I would say Carlson with his home run. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt homers as well, going two for three, three RBIs, and also reached base a third time via walk. And you saw Nolan Arenado get into the fun as well, two for four with a home run. And that's what you really want to see because if you get Goldie and Nolan going, we've been saying this really ever since Nolan got here at the beginning of last season, that you get those guys going at the same time, it's going to be dangerous for the opposition. We saw that tonight. Arenado's was an absolute blast into Big Mac land, like multiple rows deep into Big Mac land if my eyes weren't deceiving me. So very good to see on that front. Nolan Gorman had an RBI or a double that would have been an RBI, but it bounced over the wall, had to settle for a ground rule double. And so Tommy Evan had to go back to third base, but both guys score on the next hit by Goldsmith anyway. Everything's good. Just a really solid night all around for the offense. Uh, DeYoung was quiet. Molina was quiet, but everybody else had at least one hit and uh, several guys reaching base multiple times. Tommy Evan in the nine hole scored a couple of runs, going one for two, reaching with a walk as well. Four extra base hits. That was solid work by the Cardinals tonight against Keegan Thompson, whose ERA even after this game is still only 3.48. So he's had a pretty good season, 8-5 and five now on the year for the Cubs starter. Cardinals did a good job of getting to him early and often and just battering him around the yard a little bit with 10 hits against the starting pitcher in five innings. So good night for the offense as well. That's a complete team win, honestly, for the Cardinals. And hopefully you see a lot more of those kinds of wins against the Cubs the remainder of the season just because they're – they're a depleted team right now. They're not their full strength anymore after the, the deadline did decimate them, especially on the pitching front. So if you're able to get to the starters, it's going to make life a whole heck of a lot easier as you get deeper into games against that team when their bullpen is just it's just not the same as it once was. So really good to see from the Cardinals tonight. They catch a break with the Pittsburgh Pirates beating the Brewers, which means the Cardinals are now just two games behind, and they're actually in a tie with the Phillies for the wild card spot. The Phillies also losing tonight. So it's right there to be had for you, Cardinals, especially with a lot of the games that you play against some weaker competition. Uh, tied for the last wild card spot right now, just two games back of the division with a Brewers team that you could make an argument got worse at the deadline by trading away Josh Hader and replacing him with Taylor Rogers, who's been a good closer in the past, but this season is has been a little shaky. I think the Cardinals, it's it's right there for the taking for them and be very interested to see how they take advantage of at least this month of August where, yes, you've got some tough contests, as I mentioned, but you've also got a lot of opportunity on the schedule in playing some very weak teams from the National League. But I want to get more specifically now into sort of how tonight's performance by Dylan Carlson in particular relates back to the trade deadline and everything that we learned from Tuesday as the Cardinals, what they didn't do was trade Dylan Carlson for Juan Soto. And listen, it would have been a total blast if Juan Soto were a Cardinal. But I got to say, based on what it took to get him for the Padres, 
and knowing that, man, the Cardinals didn't have a Mackenzie Gore kind of player in terms of a pitcher to offer to be the headliner in the, the package, I think they would have had to overpay in terms of position players. The Nationals kept waiting and waiting and waiting to see whether the Cardinals would put Dylan Carlson in with top prospects like Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, and the Cardinals were never willing to do so. As of the end of Monday night, evidently, that's when the Cardinals sort of bowed out of the race and said, we're just not, we're not willing to go to those lengths to get this done. And that was that. But for Dylan Carlson, it had to be an interesting experience, right? Because you knew that a big player was being talked about and you sit there and know that you're one of the most interesting pieces in terms of an asset to a team that exists on the Cardinals right now because of your youth, because of your team control, and the fact that you have, at 23 years old, been a pretty talented player and, and shown some things at the big league level. So it makes sense that Carlson's name would be thrown around in the context of a Juan Soto trade. I said I wouldn't trade Carlson. It turns out the Cardinals felt the exact same way, and they told Dylan that over the weekend when John Mozeliak took him aside back in Washington, D.C. and said, it's very unlikely that you'll be moving. Like, you're going to be with us. And that was something that gave Dylan a little bit of comfort, just instead of having to wonder without really any sort of communication from the front office throughout the, the few days leading up to that trade deadline, he got the inside scoop, basically, that he knew he wasn't going anywhere. Cardinals stayed good at that word. Like, they could have told him one thing and did another, but that's not the way that went down. And so Dylan is now a fixture for this team moving forward, even more so right after the move to get Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader. The Bader trade is interesting. I think it's a good move for the Cardinals. I'm curious why the Yankees did it, to be quite honest with you. I They just lost uh, Luis Severino to a lat injury, and he was already on the injured list, but they extended him to the 60-day IL, and he's not going to be able to be back until mid-September. And you've got Nestor Cortez, who's been a stud for the Yankees this year, but is approaching probably a career high in innings, and so that's going to be something they'll have to grapple with. So very strange that they would trade Jordan Montgomery, who over the past two seasons has just been nails. I mean, he's just been very, very consistent, made 30 starts in 2021, his age 28 season, had a 3.83 ERA in 157 innings, while striking out 162, so that's cool to see, more than a K per inning with a FIP at 3.69. Just very solid. You pretty much know what you're going to get. Well, then this season, 3.69 is the ERA in 21 starts, with which has a uh, a bold figure on baseball reference indicating he leads the league in starts so far this season, which means he's just taking the ball every time he's had his turn. Every fifth day, he's taking the ball. 114 innings so far this season for Montgomery. Strikeouts a little bit down at 97, but only 23 walks in 114 innings. That's a really encouraging sign, I think. And that's a number that he's really improved upon since last year. Last year, it was 51 walks in 157 innings. This That's about three walks per nine, give or take. This season, it's been a different story where he's got that number down below two walks per nine innings, the way that he's pitched this year. So hopefully he's able to continue that with the Cardinals. Hopefully he's able to rely upon his defense, similar to Jose Quintana, Uh, does get his fair share of ground balls. I think that'll be a benefit with the Cardinals' defense behind him. And in terms of what we're hearing about this guy, I think think Cardinals fans are really going to like him. Wainwright said that he got a bunch of texts from Yankees guys who said, you're just going to love this guy and the way he goes about it and the work ethic that he has and the passion that he has. Uh, And he also said, got some texts from Pittsburgh guys as well regarding Quintana, but Quintana's the guy that Wainwright said, I think he should have been in here years ago. 
Like he's a guy that Wainwright's seen with the Cubs, uh, seen around the league, right? And he says he goes about it the right way and is a guy that's going to be a big help for us. He just feels like a fit for the St. Louis Cardinals. And Wainwright said, I think we should have gotten him two, three years ago. But very interesting to see that he's going to be part of that veteran pitching staff now. I think it's going to be a really good mix. I really do. You've got a couple veterans. Uh, Quintana has turned into a pretty crafty guy. Wainwright's that same way. Michaelis goes and just gets it done, right? But he throws hard, too. He's sneaky, gives you 95. That's Miles Michaelis for you. And then you've got the addition of Jordan Montgomery, who I think is just going to be... Uh, it sounds like this is a guy who just pitches with his hair on fire. Like, he really just wants to win. And for him, going from the Yankees, a team that probably World Series favorites, right? At least from the American League side. Then he goes to the Cardinals. Guy still wants to win. And uh, he's got a chance to still make the playoffs with St. Louis, and he can be a big part of the team doing that. So very interesting to see how that goes. But I want to reflect a little bit on the Bader aspect of this because I honestly thought it would be hard for the Cardinals to move Bader at this deadline because of his foot injury. He's still dealing with that plantar fasciitis. It's been a number of weeks now, and he's in the walking boot at this point in time for who knows how long. So when you see that deal come across the wire right before 5 p.m., it was a little shocking to me. Because I had said, well, maybe the Cardinals could deal Bader for like Pablo Lopez. We talked a lot about that on B-Shape Daily. But as time went on, I just got to thinking, I don't know if Bader's got any value to anybody. Because of that injury, there's just so much uncertainty. Well, the Yankees were able to bake in a little bit of assurances on that because they have a list of players to be named later, essentially, that if Bader does not find a way to return to the field this season and play healthily for New York, there's a list of players that New York is going to be able to choose an additional name from and that will be a player that is added to the deal, or it'll be cash considerations. Not 100% sure how that gets determined, but there's a there's an assurance that kicks in if Bader does not get back healthy due to the foot injury later this season. That being said, Harrison Bader goes to a Yankees team that maybe loses Aaron Judge this offseason. We don't know. That has, has had its fair share of injury-prone guys in its outfield. And they've got a group of sluggers, whereas Bader can be more of like the defensive stalwart and uh, hopefully be, I mean, he hits his home runs, but hopefully for his sake and the Yankees' sake, he gets healthy and is able to uh, get on base a little bit and, and show what he can do with his legs. I think he's going to thrive in, in New York. I think Cardinals fans will miss him. I had to break the news to my Nana today. It was her birthday, and it's her favorite player, Harrison Bader. She loves watching him. And so that's going to be hard. I mean, he really did turn into a fan favorite, and so that aspect of it I think is a little bit, maybe goes under the radar today for most people, unless you're one of those fans who just say, no, he was my favorite guy too. And this is devastating. I think from a baseball perspective, though, it was a move that made sense for the Cardinals based on what you've seen from Dylan Carlson these past six weeks, he's handled that center field job and made it his own. I mean, not to say Wally pipped, but I think Bader did have a little bit of that going on because Carlson just did so well. He's there's been no challenge that he's not been able to meet. He's, he's risen to the occasion on every single type of play, whether it's making a throw to get an outfield assist, whether it's coming in on a ball, a diving, sliding catch, whether it's going back on a ball, making a play at the wall. Dylan Carlson has been able to do literally all of it. I keep using the phrase that there's nothing on a baseball diamond he isn't good at. He just continues to impress, and getting it going offensively the way he does tonight with a home run would really be a helpful aspect of that. But simply defensively, he can handle the job of center field, and he He's proven that over the past six weeks, which I think allowed the Cardinals to feel more comfortable in trading Bader. The other aspect of Bader is he was going to be a free agent and, and still is technically, but 
not the Cardinals problem anymore, but a free agent after the 2023 season. And I just did not get the sense the Cardinals were going to re-sign him. You just see the young outfield prospects that are on the way, like Alec Burleson, who maybe now gets an opportunity a little sooner because of this Bader trade. And then there's the Jordan Walker factor. Big news, in my opinion, to see that Jordan Walker started in left field tonight for Springfield just an hour after the trade deadline that sent Harrison Bader away. Suddenly, the Cardinals are already looking to the next level and saying, okay, let's get Jordan Walker some experience in the outfield. And he's going to play every outfield spot for Springfield is, is the uh, the reports that we're seeing. So you could see within the next 12 months, I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Walker is the Cardinals starting right fielder. You know, I don't think that's impossible by any means. And could be really interesting to see what holds him back at this point because they're kind of clearing the deck for a situation like that. Alec Burleson, I, I think, should get a chance sooner. Uh, he's definitely got nothing left to prove in Memphis. I think he homered again tonight. He's got like 19, 20 home runs now on the season, something to that effect. He's a top 100 prospect. Would love to see him get some run at the big league level. Part of that, though, is Lars Dupar has just done so darn well. You don't necessarily have a starting role for a guy like Burleson, even after trading away Harrison Bader. Like the Cardinals outfield matrix, even Corey Dickerson has started to hit as of late. They're starting to figure things out, and they don't necessarily need to to make a, a move like this where you call somebody up and plug them directly into your lineup, even though Burleson probably does deserve that. Lars Newbar had a 1030 OPS for the month of July. That's not being arbitrary endpoints or nothing like that. It's the entire month. He hit 317 with a 420 on base and a 610 slug for a 1,030 OPS in 50 plate appearances. And off to a good start to August tonight with what he did against the Cubs at Bush Stadium, reached base four times. Like, Lars Newpart might be that dude now. It would be really impressive to see him be able to get to that point. But a 728 OPS, I mean, that's basically Nolan Gorman's OPS for the season, at least before tonight. Nolan Gorman's been doing a really nice job of of just kind of settling into his own and had a good swing tonight. Mentioned it should have been an RBI double for Nolan Gorman, but it bounced over the wall and he, he had to settle for uh, just a regular old double instead of getting to t- tally the uh, the RBI there. But Nolan Gorman's been pretty good. He's got his OPS now for the season up to 759, so not quite the same. But a comparison, Dylan Carlson's OPS is 730. Newpar's is 728. So, I like, that can play. With, and defensively, Lars Newpar does a really nice job. I'm very intrigued by what we're seeing from these guys. Tyler O'Neill was out of the lineup tonight with a leg cramp, and so you'd like to see him turn into the middle order bat once again. But maybe if he goes back on the injured list or something should happen in that regard, maybe that's Alec Burleson's opportunity and he's got to fight Dickerson and Newpar for playing time. I think he could probably beat Dickerson out for it, even though he's gotten his act together a little bit recently as well. I I guess I should probably go back and look and see exactly what Corey Dickerson's been up to because, man, the first part of the season, it really seemed like he just wasn't, it was not going to happen. That it felt like $5 million down the drain. And so I think the narrative maybe had, had sort of formed and the opinions about him had sort of been uh, solidified at that point. But you look at what he's been able to do recently, and I'm going to go arbitrary endpoints on this one. Since July 12th, so over his last nine games, seven starts and 32 plate appearances, 333 average, 533 slug for a uh, 877 OPS. Pretty good numbers there for Dickerson. So if he keeps that up, all well and good. But my point is, the Bader trade happens and the Cardinals don't feel any panic in terms of their outfield. And honestly, I think it fits better to have Carlson in center field because 
as much as I think Dylan Carlson, we talk about just scratching the surface, and you heard that from Ollie Marmel tonight. You heard it from Wainwright, where Adam Wainwright said, like, this guy's got a ceiling that we haven't seen yet. He's got a lot of potential, and he's just really starting to figure things out and, and get comfortable in what he's doing here. So look out for Dylan Carlson as time goes on. That is the way the Cardinals view this kid internally. That being said, I don't think he's ever going to be that 30 home run guy or even a 25 home run guy most years. He could get to that 18 to 21 home run range, and he's going to get you 35, maybe 40 doubles, and hopefully have an OPS closer to 800 than he does today, than he does this season. He was 780 last year. That's a, a good spot for him to aspire to. But if he's doing that with plus defense in center field, it ends up being the same conversation I had about Harrison Bader for years, which was all he has to do is be average offensively because he's so good defensively. I think Dylan might be just a notch below Bader defensively, maybe not as good in the range department, but everything else, and, and he does still have pretty good range, gets good jumps on the ball, and is just a smart center fielder. But I do think that Dylan Carlson has the potential to be a better offensive piece than Bader ever really fully proved himself to be. And so if you do that, if you combine above average offense with elite defense in a premium position of center field, that's a four or five wins above replacement guy when Dylan Carlson eventually settles into the kind of player that he really can be. So that's a lot of value for the Cardinals. But the beauty of that is if it's in that center field spot, you can devote the corner outfield to more of the slugging type of player, even if they don't have that in the organization right now, which I think they honestly do. If you look at O'Neill and left, and he even is a, a stud defender as well, so you're getting bonus points there. But then right field, right field really does need to be a guy who's going to wall up 30 home runs a year. Like he needs to be uh, not Juan Soto because there's only one of those, but he, you do want to have that premium offensive piece, I think, from your right fielder. Dylan can be a very good offensive piece, and maybe he does turn into that premium elite type of name. But from what we've seen so far, I think he's going to be above average and going to be really good, not going to be a superstar offensively. Well, for him to prove me wrong, and again, that's good enough because if he's doing what he does in center field, that ends up being one of the most valuable players in terms of wins above replacement in the National League to be as good as he is defensively and to OPS 780 or 800 if ultimately he's able to get to a point where he can consistently do that. But Jordan Walker, maybe he's the kind of guy that can grow into some power and turn into a right fielder that is a middle-order bat, less so than like Dylan at the leadoff spot, I think is something that can really work for the Cardinals. But he's not going to be that number three or a cleanup hitter most of the time. Walker could end up being that all-around guy who has the plate discipline but also slugs the hell out of the ball and just does a little bit of everything as a premium middle-order bat. I think that's nice to be able to get Dylan into center field where the expectations can be different. He doesn't need to carry as much weight offensively, even though he's fully capable of doing so. That's just a little bit of a, a lineup construction and a roster construction quandary, but I do think it's fun to talk about because you just you tend to know certain positions mean certain things offensively. First base, you need a slugger. You need a superstar hitter. Third base, it's really good to have a, a stud hitter if you can have that at the, the power positions of the corner infield. Second base, historically, like with the Colton Wong years, didn't have to have a big bopper at second base, but it helps if you do, and it's just a massive advantage for the team if you can find it. That's where Nolan Gorman comes in when he plays second. It's just such a boost for the team. Shortstop, you could allow a little bit less offensively, but when Paul DeYoung was slugging, that's a big boost for the team. And then the corner outfield, you definitely want to have sluggers if you can. So the Cardinals, I think, are better constructed in a world where offensively 
they don't have Bader and Carlson side-by-side in the outfield as two guys that are inevitably not going to be superstar in terms of home run talent hitting for power. Now you can put Carlson in center field. He and Bader were maybe a little superfluous in terms of their styles offensively. I, I think Carlson with more upside offensively for sure, but similar players in a lot of ways, right? Maybe not quite as many strikeouts for Carlson, more for Bader, but but DC has struck out his fair share as well. I just like the alignment if the Cardinals can get DC rolling in center for the next five to 10 years. Hopefully it's more like 10 because they resign him when it's time to do so. But you get that going, and then you get into a situation where you can put a Jordan Walker or another slugger in right field. Maybe it's Burleson. Maybe he bursts onto the scene and you won't be able to ignore him. Like, that's possible. I think it's really exciting for the Cardinals' future, and it's part of the reason that you were able to trade Harrison Bader the way you did if you're St. Louis today. And in keeping with the theme of talking about not just Dylan Carlson, but the young guys in general on the Cardinals that allow this team to have the bright future and the outlook that I that I still believe it does have, I want to play, before we get out of here, a clip from Adam Wainwright from after Tuesday night's game where he was asked by Jim Hayes, and I'll even play that part of the question for you, Jim Hayes of Bally Sports Midwest, about the trade deadline and having gone through these a number of times, what Adam Wainwright's reaction to the day is now that they're on the other side of it. You'll hear some pretty interesting stuff, in my opinion, here from Wainwright in terms of what it says that the Cardinals refused to go all in and do what it would have taken to acquire Juan Soto, what it says and what that should say to some of the young players in the St. Louis clubhouse. You know, another trade deadline comes and goes. You've been through these. Some guys go, some guys come here. But does it create a sense of certainty for the guys remaining going forward that maybe can help a ball club in a way? Well, I think, you know, just the, the way the news was reported, it, it's going to give our young guys a lot of confidence knowing that, you know, we could have had one of the best players on the planet if we wanted to get rid of them or trade them, and, and uh, we didn't want to. You know, so that's that's a that's a big pat on the back for some of our young guys to understand that they're really talented and, and loved, you know, and appreciated and, and uh, tons of confidence in them to go out there and be great players for us. If not, we would have traded them for one of the greatest players on the planet, and uh, we didn't because we believe in these guys. So I thought that was some pretty candid perspective from Adam Wainwright. And, like, maybe he his real thought is, man, it would have been cool to get Juan Soto. But I actually genuinely believe that he and everybody within the Cardinals clubhouse is happy about the guys that are still there. Brennan Donovan, Juan Yepes also could be made into that conversation. Andre Pallante had a great start on Sunday. You don't think the Nationals might have said, hey, this guy just shut us out for eight innings. Maybe we should trade for him in that Juan Soto deal if we're giving him to the Cardinals. And then, obviously, Dylan Carlson ends up being the headliner of that list of young players that are just teeming with talent in that St. Louis clubhouse. Good to hear from Adam Wainwright to basically say, look, what that says to our guys is we believe in them, and we believe in them so much that we decided we're not going to trade for Juan Soto and and give up a bunch of these young players that can help us. Nolan Gorman's another example. I thought that was really interesting to hear. What are your thoughts about the way the trade deadline went down for the St. Louis Cardinals. Again, Jordan Montgomery, I think, could be a really good piece for this team. I think Quintana is going to fit in well. We'll see whether it's Hudson or Palante that ends up moving to the bullpen. Kamish Hummel asked Ali Marmel at the end of the uh, manager's presser tonight, like basically framed the question as, well, with Palante uh, now, now boxed out of the rotation, what's that going to look like? It could be Hudson, though. That's the thing. We don't really know for sure. He said, uh, we'll, we'll take a look at what that New York series looks like and get back to you guys on a pitching plan. But going to be interesting to see the way that shakes out for that final spot of the rotation. I do think it may end up being that Palante moves back to the bullpen 
sooner or later, right? Because you could end up getting into a situation with him where you come up to an innings concern. I know he did throw 20 or so innings in the Arizona Fall League last year, which actually boosts up what his yearly innings amount was uh, from about 99, which is what he did in affiliated ball last year, to more like 120. But right now he's at 82. And you expect more than 30 innings are going to be thrown over the remainder of the season to get him to a new career high, which is okay. Like young pitchers do eventually get to new career highs in innings, but you probably don't want him much beyond 140, 150 necessarily. So it may end up being that Palante goes to the bullpen, Hudson stays, but we'll see what that looks like as uh, Ollie Marmel gives the information to the public. We'll make sure to pass it along right here on B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for joining me. Going to have another episode, I'm sure, after Wednesday's game between the Cardinals and Cubs. Going to be another big one as the Cardinals just look to continue to build upon what they've done at the deadline, the confidence that I think that came from the deadline being in the past now and having the opportunity to sort of go with the group that you've got. Miles Michaelis against Justin Seal tomorrow at Bush on Wednesday. That's going to be a pitching advantage for the Cardinals once again. See if Miles can't secure the series win for St. Louis's. Then the Cardinals would go for the sweep on Thursday. And that's going to be the Jose Quintana game. So it should be really interesting to see what he looks like. Appreciate you guys, as always, for joining the show. We'll talk to you next time on Be Shape Daily. Peace.